Okay, well, we're in John chapter 5, and uh, Jeff, two weeks ago, uh, preached on the first half of John 5, where Jesus healed a lame man that had been lame for 38 years. And he told this lame man to pick up Pick up your pallet, um, your mat, and walk. And he did. And it happened to be the Sabbath day when Jesus performed that miracle. And as you read, uh, read the text, there were some religious leaders who noticed that this lame man had been healed. But they weren't, um, they weren't impressed by the healing. They were offended by the fact that he was carrying his mat and breaking the Sabbath law. And so they questioned this man. Uh, This man said, I don't know who this guy was, but he healed me and he told me to pick up my mat and walk. And uh, come to find out, the leaders realized it was Jesus. And uh, they were livid because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And uh, in verse 18 of John 5, the Bible says this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus knew this, and they were questioning Jesus, you know, what gives you that kind of authority? And uh, and Jesus is going to troll these guys, okay? He's going to get under their skin and make them even angrier, because in verses 20, 19 through 29, Jesus is going to say six things about what what God the Father has handed over to the Son. Jesus is going to say, I do everything that the Father does. He says, the Father has given me judgment, um, has given judgment to the Son. Jesus says, as you honor the Father God, so you are to honor the Son. Eternal life is found in the words of Jesus. I, Jesus has said, I have existed from eternity. And finally, Jesus says, I am going to raise the dead. Jesus is not intimidated by these religious leaders one one iota. No, he he is not afraid and he tells the truth to these guys. And uh, and then so in the rest of this chapter, Jesus is going to prove his point. He's going to argue his case. That he is the son of man, he is the son of God, he is the son of David, and God has given him all authority. And he's going to argue his case according to Jewish law. 
because the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 19, Moses said this, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that may have been committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, look for a minute at verse um, 31. We're going to read this, the rest of this text in just a minute. But verse 31 says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, a little later, in John chapter 8, Jesus is going to say something about his testimony that kind of sounds like it contradicts verse 31 in chapter 5. In chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus is going to say, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. What Jesus is saying, I don't have to bring any more witnesses. My word is true. And all you have to do is believe my word. But here in chapter 5, because he, Jesus is on the turf with the religious leaders, okay, it's like the religious leaders have home field advantage, he's going to bring in witnesses. But he's not going to use just two or three witnesses. He's going to bring in five witnesses that are going to validate what 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 he's just said about himself to these religious leaders. And so we're going to go through these five. Four of them we're going to go through quickly. And the fifth we're going to spend a little bit more time on. But who are the five witnesses? Well, let's read the text this morning. Verses 30 through 47. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I judge, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that, that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father has sent me, and the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one 
whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Five witnesses in this text this morning. The first witness is John the Baptist in verses 33 through 35. And uh, we've, as we're going through John, we've heard the testimony of John the Baptist. He knows that Jesus is the Lamb of God. In, in fact, the Bible says that uh, before John was even born, when he was in his mother's womb, he recognized the presence of the Messiah when Mary, who was with child, who was with Jesus in her womb, the Bible says that John the Baptist leaped within his mother's womb because he knew that he was in the presence of the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And so John, without a shadow of a doubt, knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And there were many people for a short period of time that went out to hear John's testimony. John wasn't the one. He was just preparing the way for the one. Now, from this text, um, we get the sense that uh, John is now in the past tense. John is John the Baptist's ministry has ended. He's either in prison or he's already been beheaded. But John the Baptist is the first of the five test of witnesses, and people believed. John the Baptist's testimony. I mean, he was, his personality was attractional. And John was preparing the hearts of the people for the Messiah. And they were, they were ready, anticipating uh, Jesus coming on the scene. So Jesus said, you believed his word. John knew who I am. First witness. Second witness is Jesus' works. Verse 36, the Bible says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the religious leaders are well aware of these works. They've just seen... 
seeing Jesus heal a guy that had been lame for 38 years. I mean, how many times had those religious leaders walked past this man, never trying to help, rather being disgusted by the filth and the smell of that place by the pool because people couldn't take care of themselves. And for 38 years, this man had been longed to be healed. And Jesus heals him. And they know it. And, and, and there's a verse in Isaiah, uh, I had it. Oh, I lost. Isaiah chapter, no, that's not it. Isaiah chapter 56 or or 46 where Jesus, Isaiah talks about, you know, the lame will walk, the blind will see, uh, the, the deaf will hear. In fact, if you go to the book of Luke, and Jesus' first sermon is about that text. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your presence. And so Jesus does these healings, and every time Jesus heals, it's a picture It's a picture of what's to come. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, Jesus is a really good guy, and I think the Bible's really interested, but I don't believe in miracles. My friend, if you don't believe in miracles, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is a God of miracles. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right out of the, of the gate, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. From absolutely nothing, everything that you and I enjoy today, and things that we can't even touch, God has created it all. And we see in Scripture where Jesus heals over and over again. He doesn't heal everybody. We talked about that last week. But he heals some people. And every time he heals, he's giving us a snapshot. He's giving us a taste of what is yet to come. Friends, there is far more than this material world that we live in today. There is a kingdom that is yet to come. And when Jesus heals, he's telling us there's a place. My kingdom's coming where there's not going to be any more lame. There's not going to be any more deaf. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more tears. Everything will be made perfect. And these miracles validate Jesus' words. And so it's like in verse 36, Jesus, okay, now prove me wrong. And these religious leaders are speechless. 
they know what Jesus can do. So it's Jesus' works. It's also the testimony of God the Father. Jesus says this in verse 32. Verse 32 isn't referring to John the Baptist. Verse 32 is referring to Jesus or God. He says, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Verse 37. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who, whom he has sent. The testimony of God the Father. God the Father, who is that, who is the highest authority, who is over the Son, he's at the top of the org chart, says, listen to my Son. It's in him I am well pleased. And God did speak on two different occasions, audibly, for everyone who was witnessing to have heard. The first was at his baptism. And when Jesus came out of that water, the heavens opened up and the voice of God spoke. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Friends, that says something about baptism. Jesus, God, God the Father was affirming the Son through the waters of baptism. And Jesus went through the waters of baptism as an example for you and I, as a picture of what he was going to do for our salvation, being buried and then being, and coming out of that water and and, and coming to new life through the burial and the resurrection. My friend, if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting on? Maybe you're hearing you say to yourself, well, I was baptized as a baby. That's good enough. No, it's not good enough. That was something that was done to you. That wasn't a choice that you made. And baptism follows a personal relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. As you make that decision for Christ personally, then Jesus says, now go public. Through the waters of baptism, testifying to others that you are a follower of Christ. Have you done that? Friend, if you haven't done it, you're not being obedient to the word of God, to the will of God for your life. Does baptism save you? Absolutely not. It's just an act of obedience. You know, I just learned within the last four months, you know, my dad was, my dad was, had a Catholic background. I had two uncles who were Catholic, uh, Catholic priests on uh, his side of the family. And uh, my sister told me 
that I had been baptized in the Catholic Church. <laughs> I never knew that. My mom was, was Baptist and uh, dad was Catholic. I was the firstborn child and dad thought it was important that uh, I be baptized in the Catholic Church. And so... Dad took me to the Catholic Church. Mom didn't go and had me baptized in the Catholic Church. You know, my dad wasn't a believer at that point, and when I was about seven or eight years old, he gave his life to Christ. But because of his spiritual experience growing up, he thought that that was important. And, uh, I don't know why I tell you that, but uh, so I've been baptized both ways, I guess. But, but uh, the important one is the one that that you make yourself. That this is the decision that you have made, that you are a follower of Christ. And so they had the testimony of God the Father. And in verse 38, the Bible says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He's talking to religious leaders now. He's talking to people who know the Old Testament, have books of the Old Testament memorized, have studied the Old Testament in its original language. They know the Old Testament inside and out. And yet Jesus tells these people, you do not have the word abiding in you. What do you mean by that? It's here. But it's not here. And because it's not here, they don't see who is standing before them. They don't love the person who is standing before them. And they're missing Jesus. So that's a third witness. The testimony of God the Father. His miracles. The testimony of John the Baptist. And the one I want to spend a little bit more time on this morning. The fourth witness is the scripture themselves. In verses 39 through 44. And he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old, the New Testament hasn't been written yet, church. Okay? It, it's still being lived out. But the Old Testament speaks volumes about who Jesus is. And these religious leaders, had they truly been looking, would have known, just like John the Baptist knew. That these Bible stories, the Old Testament, they're all about Jesus. The, old, the Bible, church, 
is the greatest story ever written. It truly it is the greatest story. And within this scripture, you have all these shorter stories within the Old Testament. But all these shorter stories point to the epic story of how God is going to rescue people who are lost in their sin, who are dead in their sin. And God is going to send a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can read about it in the Old Testament. And so, as you read your Bible, I just want to encourage you to see this Bible as a window. A window to see through to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's, it's not just looking at the window, thinking to yourself, oh, that's a beautiful window. What are windows created for? To see through. And as we see through this book, we see Jesus. Look at verse 39 again. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Scripture can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Scripture is important because it all points to Jesus. But if we don't see Jesus, we miss the point of Scripture. And that's where these religious leaders were. They knew the Bible. And they thought in keeping the rules of the Bible and memorizing the Bible, knowing facts about the Bible, that that saved them. No, that just puffs them up with pride. That makes them arrogant. The purpose of Scripture is to show us our need for Jesus. That God is holy. That God is altogether different. And we are to be like like him. But we fall so far short. Getting a little bit ahead of myself. But see the scripture, the Bible, as a window. Not as an end in and of itself. And so, what does the Old Testament say? How does the Old Testament point us to Jesus? Okay? Again, don't treat the Bible as a where's Waldo picture. Okay? I got it, Pastor. Okay? I need to see Jesus in the Bible. And so, I'll read these stories. And, uh, oh, there Jesus is. That's cool. But you just use this as information and not transformation and seeing why Jesus is coming and what he's going to do. Don't treat the scripture as a where Waldo, where's Waldo picture. 
And let and I'm just going to brush the surface here on some of these stories, okay? We could go for a very long time about stories in the Old Testament. But the first story is about Adam and Eve. Here God has created everything perfect. He's put Adam and Eve in a beautiful, perfect garden has told Adam and Eve, you can partake of anything, everything in this garden, but that one tree. And guess what they do? They partake of that one tree and rebel against God. And the Bible says that when they were disobedient, uh, they became ashamed of themselves because they were naked and they were afraid, and they hid from God. And so the next morning, when uh, Jesus, when God is walking in the coolness of the morning, wanting to have fellowship with Adam and Eve, they're nowhere to be found. And God calls out, Adam, where are you? Now, he knew exactly where Adam was. That was that was a question for Adam. Adam, what have you done? Where do you find yourself? And they confessed. And the Bible says, by the grace of God, God slaughtered an innocent animal and took the the skin of that animal and covered the nakedness of the, and the shame and the guilt of Adam and Eve. And what that's a picture of? Jesus. And how God the Father is going to slaughter his innocent son on Calvary's cross for our shame, for our guilt, for our sin by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That, that's just a hint. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 that God's beginning to paint a picture, an epic picture of the son who is to come. So you have Adam and Eve. You have the story of Abraham. Abraham, in uh, Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham to take his son of promise, the promise that he had been waiting a long, 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 long time for, and go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Abraham's faith is mature at this point, and he doesn't understand it all, but he obeys. He takes his son Isaac. Isaac is carrying the wood. You know, Isaac's not tied down. He's not handcuffed or anything. He's being obedient to his father and walking up that, that mountain. And he tells his dad, asks his dad, Dad, uh, we've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide. Knowing in his heart it was to be his son Isaac. Abraham prepares that art altar. He tells his son, son, lay on the altar. There's no fighting. 
There's no questioning. There's no wrestling. Isaac, in obedience to his father, lays lays down on that sacrifice. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking to himself, what in the world is going on? And he sees his dad take that knife, raises that knife. Isaac doesn't run off the altar. He stays obedient. And yet God sees Abraham's heart and tells Abraham, stop. And God provides a substitute in a lamb. Is that what that's a picture of, church? Jesus on Calvary's cross. Jesus went to Calvary's cross and he didn't fight God. He didn't question God. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. God's one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. That only son picture is first described in Genesis chapter 22. There's Jesus. We have the story we have the story of Moses at the burning bush God's told Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt Moses is hearing God at a burning bush and Moses questions well Who should I tell Pharaoh who sent me? God says, tell them I am has sent you. Who's the I am? Jesus. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus is describing this story to the religious people. And Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. There he is again. Where else do we see Jesus? We see Jesus in the life of David, through the, through David's life. David, the triumphant warrior king who overcame great evil. God says, I am going to establish your kingdom, David, forever. Second Samuel chapter 7 says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Who is that going to be through? The son of David, Jesus Christ. The son of David was a messianic title given to Jesus. 
before before Mary conceived with the Messiah, the Savior, the angel said this to, to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be called great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God, God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over, his, over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the king whose kingdom will last forever. And the people of Israel knew this. Matthew, one of the disciples, the the writer of the first gospel of the New Testament, knew that Jesus was the son of David. It's in his genealogy. There were six times... People cried out for for healing or deliverance, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. At Jesus' triumphal entry, the people cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew that Jesus was their rescuer. Unfortunately, they thought Jesus was going to rescue them. That At that time, they were thinking physically. But no, Jesus was thinking spiritually. He came to rescue. He came to rescue and to save from people's sin first time. It's the next time that Jesus is going to come and he's going to establish his physical kingdom. He still reigns. He's still he's still king. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. Rules spiritually in our hearts, in our lives. But one day he's coming back physically. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David. We see the life of Jonah. Jonah was called to be a prophet, to preach repentance to the Ninevites, the enemies of God. Jonah hated those people. He didn't want to preach that message. And he ran from God. And it got to a point where he boarded a ship, and that ship entered a storm. And everyone was afraid, and everyone thought that they were going to all lose their life. And Jonah knew why there was a storm. And Jonah said, throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, you guys will be spared. And they threw Jonah overboard. And this amazing story, this great big fish, a fish I will never catch, so big that he swallowed Jonah And he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Why is that story there? Because it's a, it's a puzzle piece. It's a picture of Jesus who's coming and he doesn't hate his enemies. He's not going to run from God. He's going to 
laid down his life for his enemies because he cares for them. He loves them so that they might be saved. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41 says, Then then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to, to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us a miracle. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. That was Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah. But Jonah is a smaller story of what is yet to come. Of what God is going to do to rescue people from their sin. And then one more. And again, I'm just brushing the surface here, guys, is Isaiah. In Isaiah, Isaiah had a vision. Who was this vision of? Let me read the vision. The Bible says this in Isaiah 6, verse one, verses 1 through 3. In the, key, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of the robe, his robe, filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. David saw, or Isaiah saw that, and he fell down and worshipped. And he wasn't even worthy into, to be in that pres- presence of that vision of the Lord. Who was that vision of? Church? It was of Jesus. Because Jesus says in John chapter 12... Verse 41, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. And he's referring to that passage of Scripture. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus and why he's coming and what he is going to do. And these religious people missed it because they were focused on the window. They thought the window was going to save them. No, the window is just to point them to the one who can save them, and that's Jesus. Jesus also says the reason why they missed, they're spiritually blind. Verse 44 They're seeking their own glory. 
they're living for their own glory. They, they like for people to acknowledge how spiritual and how knowledgeable and how religious, how pious they are. It's about their own glory. Look how many rules I can keep. Look how good I am. Jesus knows they can't save themselves. They think they can save themselves, but nobody can save themselves. Only Jesus can do that. Verse 44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? It's not about you. The Bible is not about you. It's for you, but the Bible is about Jesus. Church, we can't afford to miss Jesus. And then Jesus' final witness is in verses 45 through 47 in Moses. And... uh, Jesus says, you know what? Moses has written about me. You know, Jesus says in verse 45, I haven't come to accuse you. I haven't come to judge you. I've come to save you. But you're not listening to my words because you're putting all of your hope on Moses' words and trying to keep all those rules. That is what your hope is set on. You know what Jesus says? Those very words that Moses has written are going to condemn you. You think they're going to save you, but they, in the end, will condemn you. Because you didn't see your need through those words that you needed a Savior because you can't keep it, those words. Those laws just are like a mirror. The point, point to show us all of our faults. And the only person who can erase those faults is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The greatest story in the Old Testament is Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover lamb. What God told the children of Israel to do for the death angel to pass over their family to be spared, to to have life, and to be rescued from the bondage of Pharaoh. That story required the Hebrew people to take an innocent, perfect lamb and slaughter it, consume it, and take the blood of that lamb and paint over the outside of the door of that house. And it was that 
blood that the death angel would recognize and pass over and people be given life. That's the gospel story of the Old Testament. What God did to free people from their bondage to slavery and sin. It was the blood of the Lamb. And John the Baptist knew this. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the people. Has the Lamb of God taken away your sin? It's not by keeping rules. It's not by going to church. It's not by memorizing the Bible and knowing lots of facts about the Bible. The Bible is a window to Jesus. And it's his story. It is God's story. It's God's history. That is the most amazing story anyone has ever written. And it's all about Jesus. And that's why we're here. And I just want to encourage you, don't miss Jesus. Religious leaders thought they knew it all. But Jesus says, the word of God is not abiding in your heart. You don't love, you don't love God because if you loved God, you would love me. Because I, the Father, and the Son are one. That's what this life is all about. And if you're here this morning, and if you've never made that personal commitment to Him, I encourage you, I implore you, if God is, if the Spirit of God is knocking on your heart, telling you, you need to make this decision. Don't ignore that. God wants to give you new life through Christ. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story. Forgive us for taking it for granted. And God, we just brushed the surface We just touched the surface of the Old Testament today. But it all screams our need for a Savior who's only found in Jesus. God, if there's one here or more here this morning without Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. If I'm describing you, friend, right now, you know you need to surrender your life to Christ, that you believe. Tell him you believe right now. It's what the purpose of John, the book of John is all about, that we might believe who Jesus truly is. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you see him to know him 
to follow him. If you've never been baptized, or if you've not been baptized biblically through immersion after a decision for Christ, I want to encourage you to take that step of obedience. Don't be ashamed to publicly declare that you're a follower of Christ. Humbling yourself. Dying to yourself through the waters of baptism that Jesus has already done in your life. Spiritually. And coming out of those waters, being alive to God, that Jesus has already done spiritually, but as a testimony of who he is in your life. Father, thank you for this time in your word. It is going to be our next drive-in movie, and uh, it's a movie for the whole family. It's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. I saw this a, a week or so ago, and uh, it's about a grill. It's a, it's a true story. It's based on a true story, but the name of the movie is The One and Only Ivan. So uh, I want to encourage you to uh, come out to the church parking lot. We'll be showing that movie at 715. I think the movie theater is uh, selling popcorn and stuff to go uh, up till 7 o'clock. So if you want to buy something from the movie theater and help them, I would encourage you to do that. And then um, come to our free movie in the parking lot, okay? It'll be a fun time. Uh, The youth that night are having not a lock-in, but a lock-out, okay? And uh, it should be a a good time. You can find more details about that uh, online or, or Facebook. And then last but not least is our Bible study classes. We have Bible study going on in the ministry center uh, right now following this service at 1030. Okay? So I don't know what time it is. I probably, it's probably close to that. What time is it? 1010. You got 20 minutes. You can go get donut and then go over to the ministry center for, uh, for Sunday school. All right? Well, let's all stand, shall we? And let's uh, pray as we're dismissed. And for those of you uh, watching online this morning, thank you for joining us. And I hope God spoke to your heart as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of worship in the park, for your creation. And uh, Lord, in this COVID season, to give us us this option. What a beautiful morning it has been. Lord, I pray that you bless each one. Protect us. Keep us. And, Lord, be with our firefighters, be with our law enforcement officers as uh, they serve us and uh, our community. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good day.